0: Hey, thank you for checking out our sermons online at Coastal Community Church. We're so glad that uh, you're using these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth. But one of the things we're really passionate about at Coastal is that you have a local church. And so while we encourage you to, to make use of these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to find a Bible-believing uh, church in your community. If you live in our community, we'd love for you to visit with us. So uh, We uh, are in Yorktown, Virginia. We meet on 101 Village Avenue, and we would love for you to come and check us out. We have three sermons service times, 8 o'clock, 9.30 and 11, and uh, on Sunday morning, and so if you live in the Virginia area and the Yorktown area on the peninsula, we would love for you to come and check us out. We're going to be starting a new sermon series um, here in the in the late winter uh, called Beginnings, and we're going to look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and that's going to be covering creation to Noah. And, uh, you know, this is an important series for us as we uh, at Coastal like to lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason it's important is kind of like when you're at the mall and you're trying to find a store and you, and you look at the map on the mall, and if you don't know where you are, where your beginning place is, which usually on a map is marked with a big red X that says you are here. If you don't know your starting point, then you don't know where you're going. And so we think the beginning book of the Bible, Genesis, is very important for us to understand how and why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we hope you'll investigate for the next eight weeks uh, the series that we're doing together called Beginnings. Postal Church, great to see you this morning. How many of you all, when Pastor Sean asked for A one-year commitment to the 8 o'clock service considered time change Sunday. Raise your hand. Like, it was early, and uh, I appreciate you all getting up early. That means a lot uh, because I'm sure there'll be some sleeper inners today. So uh, thank you very, very much. Do me a favor. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to pick up. We are doing a series we're in the middle of it called beginnings and uh, and so we are picking our way through the first eleven chapters of Genesis. I hope you're you're reading that on the side on your own and uh, and I'm just going to be straight up with you this morning i'm I'm going to heavy on you right out of the gate all right and uh, because uh, the next, the last week, this week, and next week, we're, what we're seeing in Genesis is the unfolding of sin across the human race. And in fact, as I read this in its totality, what came to my mind is last week, uh, w- really what I think we're seeing is God laying out for us the three enemies of the Christian faith. Last week we see the tempter and the role of the devil in our, in the fall of man. This week we're going to see the role of our sin nature, the flesh, and, and how that fits. And next week we're going to see what happens when sin kind of goes corporate, if you will, and you'll see the world. And so we have Satan, the flesh, and the world kind of unpacked in front of us. uh, A couple of weeks ago, my wife came home with my favorite soft drink, Coke Zero. All right, I'm Tempted to pop this open right now, all right? That's how much I love Coke Zero. Um, as far as a dieting plan, I don't think it works, okay? But I really like it, and so and so she came on with a case from Sam's, and um, probably like you, we have that extra fridge, you know? We have an ex- old old fridge and we keep out in the in the uh, in the in the garage, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this whole case of Coke, and I'm going to put it in the fridge. That way, and this is kind of preacher speak. When I want a cold one, okay? means different things to different people. Uh, So, you know, when I want a cold one, I'm just going to go out in the fridge, right? I'm going to get me a cold Coke Zero. And I was really fired up. And so in this old fridge, we have the the produce drawer, which is clear plastic, right? And I filled it up with Coke Zero. And I had forgotten that the whole reason that we put that fridge out into the garage is because the produce drawers freeze, okay? I'd forgotten about that. And so when I came out on Friday evening to get a nice cold one, I, I look, I don't even even open the drawer, I look in and the whole drawer looks like it's filled up like a like a Coke slushy. Okay? I mean it's just uh, the whole thing. It, and I pull it open and every single can inside that drawer was affected by the freeze, right? Probably about a third of the cans had burst open and that's what made it look like a big icy, okay? Another third of the cans were all warped where, you know how a Coke can has this bottom piece here, right? This was like popped out, made it like a weeble wobble kind of thing going on. Um, Several of them were popped out at the top and even the ones that weren't burst open, I couldn't open them. In fact, when I would open them because they were so frozen, the soda would just spew out everywhere and so the the freeze had affected everything, okay? Okay? so what we see here in... How many want to bet I kicked that at some point? Okay, so let's just see. Um, well, it'll be fun. And so... Um and so here we see in Genesis 4 the complete devastation of sin. Last week we see Adam and Eve fall into sin, but now we're we're seeing it kind of spread corporately. And so God gives us this incredible story. It's a Sunday school story you probably learned if you grew up in church called Cain and Abel. And so these are these are the children of Adam and Eve. And so, you know, and again the Bible Genesis is not attempting to answer every question that goes through your mind about, you know, the beginnings of man. And and all this, how'd all these people get here? It's not even attempting to do that. Genesis 1 through 11 is a theological outlook of what God is doing in the process of redeeming man. And so before we can even get to that, we've got to talk about the fall of man and the devastation of sin. And so here we are, right? And so the story of Cain and Abel is really the first children born into sin of Adam and Eve. And, and, we, and so what I want to do is I want to kind of give you the overview of the story and then I want to pull out just a couple points that I think will apply to our lives. Okay, so here we go. Cain and Abel. So Adam and Eve have their first two sons after the fall, Cain and Abel. And so we quickly learned that Cain is the keeper of the fields. He's the keeper of the veggies, all right, and the fruits and the veggies. And Abel is the keeper of the livestock. And as this story in Genesis 4 unfolds is that, is that God, they come together to worship and it seems that it's assumed that God has given some instruction on worship. We don't know from the original story, but, but they bring and they come to corporate worship with an offering. And Abel comes with the best of his livestock and Cain comes with his fruits and veggies, And we find out that that God is pleased with Abel's offering, but he's he's displeased with Cain's offering. And so Cain becomes angry at God because of God's displeasure of his offering. And sin is in his heart. And and as sin is in his heart, he becomes angrier and angrier at God. And his rebellion overflows to the point where he, he kills his brother Abel. And he murders his brother out in the field. And so God confronts Cain on this murder and Cain gets snarky and and his response to God is is one that's actually even permeated our culture. Even unbelievers have usually heard the phrase, am I my brother's keeper, right? Am I in charge of my brother when God says, where's your brother? And so God punishes Cain and, and Cain ends up. Moving completely out of the presence of God is what the story tells us. Now let me pull a couple points out, okay, that I hope will challenge us and, 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 and give us pause this morning uh, for the seriousness of sin and, and the incredible, incredible need that for a Savior, okay? So the first thing I want you to see is, is the idea of acceptable worship. God in His grace has always prescribed for us what acceptable worship would look like. That's a grace to us. God does not leave worship as a guessing game to us. God God lets us know what he expects of us. And while this story doesn't give details, we can assume worship was supposed to look like what he was responsible for but Cain didn't do that Abel however brought what God expected to worship and we see that in Genesis 4 4 right Abel says Abel also brought a gift it was the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock the Lord accepted Abel and his gift Abel's worship was received. Why? Because he he heard the word of the Lord, he believed the word of the Lord, and he acted on what God had told him. And so Abel brings, and two things we see out of his offering, it's the first, okay, and and this is is probably another message for another day, but this idea of first is always in worship. The The best, the firstborn, and it's also the best portions of his Sheep or of his lambs. And so he worshiped as God instructed. And by the way, we still worship today as God has instructed. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you must reject the idea that all paths lead to God. They don't. God has instructed us, he has prescribed for us what is acceptable worship. He has prescribed for us how we get to come into his presence. We don't, like Cain, get to come into God's presence any old way we like. If God has prescribed it, we must worship in that way. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, when one of the great sermons ever preached, it's pointed out that Jesus is the cornerstone ...of this incredible spiritual house that God is building, and he was rejected, and in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Church, we, Jesus is the prescribed order of worship... And that is not changing, and that is not up for negotiation. There is one way to God the Father, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. By the way, Old Testament saints and New Testament saints are saved the same way, okay? Old Testament saints were to look forward as they brought a sacrifice that there is going to be a true and better sacrifice one day. That God is the whole promise that Pastor Andrew brought out last week, right? The heel of the woman is going to crush the head of Satan. It was this promise that God is somehow going to redeem man from their. Sin and so when they brought their sacrifices, they looked forward, knowing one day God was going to provide a true and better sacrifice. We now live on the other side of the cross, and so we look backwards, right? But both were looking to the Messiah. And God has always prescribed worship, and He's always told us the way that we needed to be saved from the penalty of our sin. It was by looking into the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is received by grace through faith. Cain didn't bring what God had asked. God, Cain did not bring acceptable worship. And what, when we choose not to bring acceptable worship, what it ultimately is revealing is the nature of our heart. And the nature of our heart is we will live left to ourselves in rebellion to God. Hey God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. Hey God, you don't know best. I, I know best. And then once we reject acceptable worship, we become consumed by the nature of our heart, which is sin. Left to ourselves, sin is the nature. And so Cain's sinful heart is revealed and he is quickly consumed by sin. And so the next thing I want you to see here is the consuming cycle of sin. When sin takes hold of our hearts, it's devastating. It's devastating. devastating. Sin sin is no trifling matter, church. The first thing we see is is, is in Cain's countenance. Cain's countenance. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, God confronts Cain after his unacceptable worship. Why are you so angry, the Lord asks. Why do you look so dejected? Listen, when sin... Sin is from the inside out. One of the things we say often at Coastal is we're born into sin. It's not the actions that make us sinful. The actions are the overflow of the heart. Our hearts are sinful, therefore we act out sinfully. And it affects our, even our countenance. And so Cain, God says, what's going on? I can see it on your face. Sin is from the inside out. And sin begins to consume. Psalm chapter 32, verse 3. The psalmist writes, Man, when I refused to confess my sin, my body, it wasted away, and I groaned all day long. I think a lot of times we end up in counseling when really we need to confess. We end up on medication when really we need to confess what's really going on, man. Is there sin going on? And it's just an overflow from the inside out, man. Our countenance and our, our bodies waste away when we're sin, when we're in sin. And when it's left unrepented, it runs the risk of overrunning our life here. Sin will overrun your life. In Genesis 4 verse 7. God continues in his confrontation of Cain. He says, you'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Because sin is crouching at the door. And it's eager to control you, Cain. You must subdue it and be its master. Parents, the greatest need of your child is to be redeemed from the penalty of their sin. We have to take sin serious. God here at the very beginnings is clear that sin will, will take over. And for us individually, it will ruin our lives. This is why every sinful thought that runs through your head must be taken captive and confessed and repented of. And by the way, I get really twitchy about this, right? When someone comes to me, we, got, we really need to stop this. Like, we really need to stop with the... I don't know why the devil just puts these thoughts in my head, right? I get twitchy when people say that. Why do we blame the devil for our own nature? Let me challenge you with this. Maybe that sinful thought is running through your head because that's really who your heart and what's really going on in there left to yourself, we need to be captivated with this idea. Now, we see in chapter three, the devil tempted to be sure, but now Cain, left to himself. It's its own nature. I'm angry with God. He didn't accept I wanted to do it the way I wanted to do it. God didn't accept it. Man, our own sin nature begins to capture us, and we have to be really careful. And when certain thoughts run through our heads, we need to take them captive and say, Is what I'm thinking holy and true? Is it God's character? And if not, we need to repent quickly of just the thoughts. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 spent a lot of time on our thinking. Matthew 5, 21, you've heard that your ancestors were told you should not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Why? If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking. He's really. He could be referring to Cain and Abel. The seeds of murder start with anger. The minute you come home and say, "Man, I, I cannot stand that person," you you in your mind are the very seeds of murder. We need to take sin seriously or it'll overrun us. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes on to say, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say that anyone who even looks at a woman and lusts has already committed adultery in her heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand. By the way, men and a growing number of women, this is really great advice for pornography. One of my favorite preachers, John Piper, was, was, was asked at a conference, ha, like if, you're, if someone comes to you and says, I'm struggling with pornography, what advice would you give them? And he says, if your hand is causing you to stumble, cut it off. And the interviewer laughed. He said, no, no, come on, John, give us some really practical advice. I mean, if someone's struggling with pornography, what would you tell them to do? And he said, if your hand is causing you to stumble, cut it off. Now, is Jesus here talking about self-mutilation? Probably not. But he is challenging us with the idea that we must take sin seriously because left to itself, it will end in eternal punishment. And it is better to lose an appendage than to spend eternity separated from God's goodness and in the presence of God's wrath. If you're stronger, verse 30, and if your hand, even your stronger hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. What is Jesus talking about? We better take sin seriously because it will consume us. Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Third thing we see about sin is sin blame shifts. Sin never never takes its own consequences. It blame shifts. Genesis 4 verse 8. And So one day Cain suggested to his brother, so God confronts Cain. Cain, you know, your sin is crouching at the door. You're in trouble here. You better master it. You better repent of it. You better come back to me. He doesn't do that. So Cain suggests to his brother, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Cain brings an unacceptable sacrifice. And it leads to Cain blaming his brother. God God doesn't love me because of my brother Abel. It's his fault. All the way to the point of killing him. I can tell you right now that a a blame shifter never considers their own sin. I would say 90% of the marriage counseling I do is... is one person sitting in my office and blaming the other party. Man, that person, 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 that person. Wait a minute. Look in the mirror. Stop shifting the blame. You're at work, right? Man, I just, my boss, he just never, my boss, 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 my boss. Just become invaluable to your boss. Serve your boss to your boss can't afford to lose you. Stop shifting the blame. Young people, my parents, my parents, my parents, my parents, my parents. Listen, lose the attitude. Okay, start there. Start with you. And then watch your parents go, man, there's a real change going on. I know there's nobody in here under the age of 25 right now. So anyway. But sin, sin blame shifts. It's never my fault. It's never my heart. It's never my rebellion. And then sin leaves us self-consumed. Okay, and we see that in Cain, which leaves us self-consumed. Genesis chapter 4 verse 9, afterwards the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian or am I my brother's keeper? Cain says, I only care about me. I'm not responsible for anyone else. I, mean, there's a, I could give a million illustrations that would take too long and a million injustices. Every injustice in the world is based on I don't care about their problem. I only care about me. And so this passage becomes very, very clear that God always, you should circle that in your notes and fill in the blank, God always judges sin and rebellion. Always. It's his character. He would not be just to let sin go unpunished. Genesis 4 verse 10, But the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you're cursed and you're banished from the ground, which has swallowed up your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you. No matter how hard you work, from now on you will be homeless wanderer on the earth. Sin never gets away with it. If you're sitting here this morning, you think, Man, sin, I'm I'm in the middle of it. I'm getting away with it. Sin never gets away with it. It is always punished by God. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you're like, "Man, I'm feeling terrified." Here's the great news. Your sin did not get away with it. Jesus bore the wrath of God's hatred for sin on the cross for you. So if you're here this morning and you've been a long-time Christian, don't you ever dare get tired of hearing the gospel message. Oh, I heard that before. Right? No, your sin didn't get away with it. The wrath of God for sin was born for you. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. It's a very humbling moment to remember, man, Jesus' body and blood was poured out and broken so that I could be forgiven. Of course, the terrifying piece is if you're here this morning and you're not found in Christ, it's terrifying. You'll bear the wrath of God for your own sin. And so a wise and spiritual person considers the consequences of sin. A wise and spiritual person considers the consequences of sin. There's two pieces of this. First, there's the eternal piece. There's an eternal consequence to sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Death, all right? I know you're barely awake, but let's do this together, right? So we're all clear. The wages of sin is what? It's death. God's not trifling about this. Now, there's two kinds of death in the Scriptures. I don't have time to unpack all of that this morning, but the first kind is physical death, right? None of us gets out of this thing alive. But the second death, the description that's even more terrifying than physical death, is spiritual death. It's eternal separation from God in the place of punishment, where God's wrath is poured out eternally. Our sin has earned us something. And I think it's incredibly healthy to consider the state of our souls. I think it's very, very important that we pause long enough to consider where we will spend eternity. I think the problem in the American church culture, and this started in the 80s and 90s with this little thing called the seeker-sensitive movement, and I'm not, there's pieces of that that I've even adopted into the culture of this church, but one of the things that we've kicked out is we never talk about hell anymore because it's not very sensitive, and I think we've done the culture a disservice. Because if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I want you to consider the state of your soul this morning. That's the greatest gift I could give you, is to be thinking about, man, what, what does my sin under the holiness of God, what does it deserve, and what are the eternal consequences of my sin You will either stand before God in your own accord and he will pour out his just wrath on your rebellion to him or you will stand there having your rebellion paid for by the person and work of Jesus Christ clothed by grace through faith in the righteousness or the good works of Christ. That's how your judgment day will go. And so there's eternal consequences but there are also also earthly consequences to our sin, right? I think it's important. A wise person says, man, what are... What are the earthly consequences to my life? I think it's important for us on earth to consider our legacy, our earthly impact. When we choose sin over obedience to the word of God and the righteousness of God. I think a wise person asks the question, man, what what is the story that I want my life to tell? Right? Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses writes this... uh, I think he kind of hints at this idea but he says you must talking about idolatry he says you must not bow down or worship down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous god I will who will not tolerate your affection for other gods I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and the entire family is affected even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. I think what Moses is reminding us here is this kind of this legacy. We, we, we have two legacies that we can leave with our life. We have the legacy of faith and the gospel of Christ, or we have the legacy of sin and destruction. And he says, the sins of the Father, man, they do go down to the third and fourth generation. The really good news is, is that when we repent and we trust God, the, the unfailing love of the Lord goes down for a thousand generations to those who love me and obey my commands. And young people, I want to tell you something, I don't, you know, I'll let you figure it out if you think you're young or not. Okay, but <clears throat> young people, I think part of being young and wise is asking the question, what is the story that I want to tell with my life? And this, this starts even in high school, right? Like, what, what do I want my dating story to be to my children's children? I want my dating story to be one of holiness and righteousness. What do I want my engagement story? While I'm engaged, What, what part? How do I want to retell that story one day? What do I want to tell my children's children how I used in high school or in college? How I used my free Friday nights. I think a wise person considers their future. A wise person considers their legacy. A wise person considers, man, what is the story that I want to be told? A wise person and a believer considers, man, how, how does my life even reflect on Christ? If people in the community know I'm a Christian, I make this decision to disobey the word of the Lord. How does that reflect on what I'm saying about Jesus Christ? My good friend Alistair Getty says you have to be able to see the end from the beginning If I say this or I make this decision, where, where, where does that end? What is the end of this sinful decision I'm about to make? Let me, let me paint a really real picture, earthy picture, all right? I've never dealt with a marriage caught up in an affair that I suspect that at the beginning of it, they considered they would end up in the mess. I, always show, I get shown up at the messy part. Right? So let me, let me guard some of you right now. Let me guard your marriage. I'll tell you where it started. It started with a flirtatious comment at work or in a social gathering. That you hoped would be reciprocated. Yeah, my marriage ain't all that great. And then you sit and you wait. And you hope you get a little... Feedback that encourages a sinful relationship, and I can guarantee, you when you threw that line out there, "Hey, you look great this morning," text it or you say it, and you hope that that line gets reciprocated in a way that you're hoping for. And I can guarantee you, you never thought, "Man, this is going to lead to that." So let me let me let me challenge you with this, okay? Some of you are sitting in the middle of that right now. And if that's you this morning, don't listen it 's going to end in an absolute difficult train wreck. Now it can be redeemed and it can be restored, and I 've seen God do some amazing things, okay but I 'm just telling you, and I could point some people out to you and they would love to talk to you and tell you here's what you're going to go through to get to the good stuff. And so if you 're in the middle of it and there's something going on in the workplace, there's something going on in a social gathering, yeah, I kicked it. okay so Repent. Find someone that you trust and get it out of your life. Confess it both to the Lord and to someone else and say, Man, I need this out. Because I, Pastor Sean helped me see the end from the beginning. The third thing about sin is that sin doesn't recognize what it deserves, it never does. Sin never recognizes what it really deserves. Cain replied to the Lord, verse 13, man, my punishment is too great for me to bear. So God gives this punishment to Cain. He says, it's too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land, from your presence. You've made me homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Notice what Cain doesn't say. Holy cow, Lord, I killed my brother. God, how did I get here? Help me. All he recognizes is I don't get the good stuff anymore, God. Cain is Cain is so consumed by his sin. Guess what he does? He makes himself to be the victim. By the way, this is why I, may, I, I get so passionate and spun up that we make sure that we're, we're, we're representing the gospel message correctly. The gospel message is not accept Jesus into your heart. That's the good stuff. It leaves off the repentance piece. Jesus said, Mark 1, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. In order to repent, there has to be an acknowledgment of sin and, whoa, I've broken God's character, I've broken God's law, I've broken God's uh, word, and I need to turn and I need to face the works and the person of Christ. It's repentance. Repentance. And then believe in the person and work of Christ. Sin blinds us from our consequences. And sin blinds us of our need for salvation. You want to hear something amazing? Here's the amazing piece. Even in our sin, God extends grace to the sinner. Even in our sin, God... I love verse 15... Of Genesis four. And I'm I'm convinced that Cain still doesn't get it. But in Genesis 4, verse 15, the Lord replies, No, I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone that might try to kill him. What is God doing here? What is this about? What God is doing is giving Cain a gift of grace. What Cain deserved was immediate punishment. What Cain got was an opportunity to go through life and still repent of his sin and trust God going forward. No, Cain, I'm going to give you time. And Cain, once again, did not see this as a grace of God. Cain, once again, callously walked through his life unaware of God's grace to him. There is someone sitting here this morning as I preach the consequence of sin and you have never repented of your sin and trusted in the person and work of Christ that God once again here this morning is being patient with you. He's being patient with you. You have an opportunity this morning to walk out of here and and continue with your excuses and your rejection and your callousness towards the person and work of Christ. Christ. Or you have an opportunity to repent of your sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, the apostle Peter writes, he says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And this morning you are being offered an opportunity to repent. Repent. As I was preaching this morning about being consumed by sin, maybe the Spirit of God was heavy on your heart saying, man, that is me. I am caught up in sin and I'm sinning and I'm loving it and I'm miserable. And this morning, I want you to know you don't have to leave here miserable. You can leave here free. And so maybe today you've been continuing in your sin and, and today's been a reminder, today it has been called out to you that sin is crouching at your door and it's waiting to consume you. I've got good news for you. Today you can repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ and make no mistake, Jesus is the victor over sin. Sin will not consume you. Sin, if you trust in Christ, I want you to know this is why the bodily resurrection of Christ is so important. He conquered the consequence of sin and it does not have final say over those who are found in Christ and so maybe today is the day for you maybe today by the grace of God you recognize that God has been patient by the way the word patient means long suffering he has suffered long with your indifference And with your sin and with your rebellion. And so maybe today is the day. The good news is today you can be saved from the wrath that you deserve. God sent his son to bear that wrath. In your place, Jesus died for your sin and rebellion. Jesus rose from the grave again, showing his victory over the consequence of sin. Jesus promises when we repent of our sin and believe in him to enter into our life. He promises one, to give us eternal life and two, to give us the abundant life. The Holy Spirit now lives in us and you are freed up now as a Christian to battle with your sin nature. No longer dead in sin, but alive to the things of God. And so I implore you this morning do not leave here like Cain left the presence of God and didn't see the patience of God as an act of grace and as an act of mercy. I beg you, if the Spirit of God is drawing you to Himself today, repent. And believe. Don't let sin consume you. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up while I'm praying. It's an opportunity for you to do business with God. It's all this is. not magical. It's not the prayer that gets you into heaven. It's, the heart, it's a conversion of the heart. And if God's spirit is wa- working on you and drawing you this morning, make this the day that you do spiritual business with God, you repent of your sin, and you trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Bow your head and close your eyes. If that's you, pray this in your heart and in your mind with me. Dear God, today I acknowledge some things that have become very clear to me. It's become very clear to me that I have sinned against you. It has become clear to me that I've been living my own way. It has become clear to me that if I continue on this path, that sin will overrun me. It has become clear to me here this morning that sin in your eyes is no trifling matter. So today, as best I know how, I I confess my sin. I turn from my sin. I believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I believe that he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross and took the punishment that my sin deserved. And he rose from the grave giving me both hope in this life. And more importantly, hope in the life to come. Thank you for the freedom of the cross. Thank you for the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For allowing me the opportunity to repent of my sin and believe in your son thank you for the hope of eternal life it's in jesus name i pray amen